So here we are. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 22. And you'll have to kind of hang with it on purpose tonight. I've only got two stories. And then uh, we'll be looking at these great, great givers in the Bible. So when you think of the word giver in the Bible without looking at the Bible study, who do you think of? Great givers, let's say in the Old Testament. When you think of the word giving, maybe they're not rich, but you, know, you would call them a giver. Anybody just want to help her? Uh, we'll just go with the Bible study. Brother Chris? Abraham. Okay, good. I'm going to mention him, babe. Jesus. Well, okay. Yeah, obviously. Good. And uh, the greatest giver. Anybody else? Oh, when you think of a giver, who? The wise men. Okay. Uh, anybody else? S- uh, someone you, okay. Mila? The two sheep. The two husbands, which one? The two kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, the widow with the two mites. And I didn't even mention her tonight. I can't believe that. Good. All right. Well, let's jump right on here. Uh, the statement, giving affects you and it affects others. Okay, complete the little uh, Bible verse. Uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive so there it is right there he says you'll be happy if you're the one that's giving it's more blessed or it's more happy to give than to receive and oftentimes that's how it is at christmas time Uh, some of you've already started online shopping men isn't that true we men have stayed up all night this week probably on line shopping what are we getting our mother-in-law what are we getting the neighbors and and some of you men are still saying is that this month is that this month we've already got the little chalkboard there you know it's 21 no 19 days till christmas and man it's counting down and so what it it, it affects us it affects others so i want to just look at uh, several of these great givers And it's not just money. In most cases, it's not. And I hope that it'll challenge us. Let's look down in Genesis 22 for just a highlight. And uh, he had it right. Abraham, of course, in your notes, Genesis 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. The word tempt there means test. God never tempts us to sin. So he says, Abraham, here's here's a big test. Now, don't forget, he already went through the Sodom and Gomorrah thing. He had already rescued his nephew, Lot. He had already uh, seen that city of his relatives blown to pieces. Wouldn't you think that was it? He had already left Ur of the Chaldees. He had already left his hometown, and he's journeying to a city he knows not. I would think his big tests are done, wouldn't you? God says, no, now for the big one. How many of you hope you're done with the big one right now? I mean, uh, if there's a big test in your life, you just hope, I hope I've already passed it. There's none bigger than that. Abraham was like 99 about this time. And God says, now for the big one. He said, I've got your future. I've got your health. He says, now I want your son. And right there it says uh, in uh, in verse 22, he said, uh, uh, Abraham, he said, behold, Here I am. Abraham never asked, what are you going to make me do? He just said, here I am, volunteering for duty. And he said, now take thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee to the land of Moriah. 
For you Bible students, Moriah is part of the mountain range, same mountain range as Calvary. So there's a lot of parallels here. God is giving his son on the same mountain range. And offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. There it is. God was just kind of straight to the point. Uh, Abraham says, here I am. He says, take your son, kill him on an altar on this mountain. I think I would have kind of moaned a little bit, huh? Uh, uh, Don't you imagine you would have said, now, Lord, do you have the right guy? I mean, don't you want the king of Sodom to kill his son on the mountain? (laughs) This is me. Abraham never asked a question. He got his son, said, we're taking a, taking a day trip today. No school for you. And uh, here we go. And he takes the servants, gets the uh, wood. Halfway up, the son says, uh, Dad, we've done this lots of times. And I'm paraphrasing. Uh, we've offered a lot of uh, animals to the Lord. Uh, we have the wood. We have the fire. Uh, where's the sacrifice? And imagine Abraham just kind of looked at his son and began wiping tears. You say, kind of a strange thing. God's not into human sacrifice. I get it. But later on, and you've read it in Hebrews 11, it says, but Abraham believed God that if he did kill his son, if God let him go through with it, that God would have to raise him from the dead because the Messiah, God's son, was promised to come through his lineage. But still, he would still have had to take in his son's life. So we see it just quickly. Abraham's just, just going for it. And uh, verse 7, and Isaac spake Abraham his father, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, notice the faith. My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And notice that prophecy. God did provide himself as the offering. A lot of symbolism. They're carrying the wood. Jesus carried the wood. The fire, our fire in hell. Uh, Father, son, on a hill, voluntarily. He didn't have to do it. Uh, uh, He could have uh, called 10,000 angels, and uh, and he didn't do it. Just just great symbolism here. And verse 9, they came to the place where God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar, laid the wood on the altar. He's 99. His son is maybe 30 at this time. And he bound Isaac, his son. Now, you help me. Most, all right, if, if it's MMA, is it MMA boxing? What is the mixed martial arts? Yeah, MMA. You got a 99-year-old in the cage and a 30-year-old. Who you betting on? You got a Conor McGregor and then you got Methuselah. Who you betting on? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so here's, here's Isaac. Here's the way I see it. All right, Dad, I got this thing figured out. I guess I'm the sacrifice, huh? All right, Dad, go ahead and tie my, my hands. I'm not fighting you. I trust you. I trusted you my whole life. You know the Messiah's been born through me. And I don't know what the Lord's going to do, but here we go. Look at that father-son trust. He lays him on the altar. He starts to rear back, and neither one ever saw it, but up coming on the back side of that hill was a ram, a male. A male sheep was coming up that hill, and he didn't make an appearance until Abraham started to come down, and God said, Abraham, Abraham, and that's when he turned his hearing aid up after, after 
He heard it a little bit late. No, no. No, he heard it on time. And he said, look over there. And there was that lamb. And that's the symbol of Jesus there. So who was a great giver in the Bible? Abraham. He gave the dearest thing to him, his son. Every one of us has an Isaac. All of us have something that is top. It is more important than anything else in our life. For some, it's career. For some, it's maybe riches. For some, it's a friend. For some, it's this or it's that or, or it's a mate. God says, could I have that if I wanted it? Are you okay to give me your Isaac? Would you give me that which is dearest to you? Would you give it to me? And so Abraham, what an example. So here in the notes there, uh, 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 his, his sacrifice, that's what he gave, his sacrifice. So what did he get back? He got, uh, he got God's blessings. He's the only man in the Bible called the friend of God. And then we hear repeated throughout Scripture, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. What a great, great thing. Quickly, let's look down at David for a moment. We see in 1 Chronicles 29, and we won't be able to expound too much on these others, but in 1 Chronicles 29, uh, one of your favorite verses, 1 Chronicles 29, and we see down in this chapter, David is wrapping up. He's wrapping up his life, and notice what he says. He's, uh, he wants to build the temple, and God says, you're a bloody man. You've killed too many people in battle. Uh, I'll let your son build it, but you can uh, gather the supplies. So you get the wood, you get the nails, you get the beams, you get the material. You just uh, stockpile all the materials that we need. And so David, end of his life, is saying this. In First Chronicles 29, he says, Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God the gold, for the things to be made, the silver, for the things of silver. Skip down to verse 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver. He says, I've got gold and silver that belongs to me, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared for the holy house. Even 3,000 talents of gold, of uh, the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the house with all the gold for things of gold. And so here's what David says. David says, we need all these materials let me publicly say, here's what I'm giving. So David is giving a public offering to motivate. I remember when we were uh, trying to raise money to build one of the buildings. And uh, uh, Brother Treber and these guys had taught us, you know, you announce it. And you make a little booklet. You have meetings with groups and meetings with families. And, and uh, here's the building and here's what it's going to cost and here's the budget. And then before you left the house, we were always to say, here's what our family's giving. We've already prayed. Here's the amount we personally are giving to this. Just pray about what the Lord would have. You know why we did that? To motivate. To motivate, to show people we're not just presenting it and hoping everybody gives. No, here is what we have already decided we're giving. And so here's David the king. He says, my son Solomon's going to build this extravagant uh, uh, temple for the Lord. It's going to be magnificent. But look, I'm not just the king. I'm giving to this too. Sometimes there comes a time, maybe in the privacy of a family or the privacy of a ministry, or maybe you're trying to encourage someone and you've got some close friends. You're saying, we need to do this. Sometimes you need to publicly say, what you're personally doing 
It motivates. And not all giving should be like that. You know, uh, Jesus said, be not as a hypocrite, sound the trumpet, tell everybody, watch me, look what I'm giving. But sometimes you may need to tell your kids, here's what mom and dad are giving for this. Uh, here's, what, uh, here's what I'm giving toward this. Maybe siblings are getting together to purchase a nice gift for a parent's anniversary or birthday, and they're saying, hey, hey, uh, we need to pool our money. And I want you to know, here's what I'm giving. It's kind of like the, uh, the pig and the chicken. And the chicken said, you know, our farmer, Brown, has been very good to us. I think we need to just spoil him in the morning. How about let's give him uh, uh, some uh, bacon and eggs? And the pig looked at the chicken and said, hey, it's just a contribution for you, but it's a real sacrifice for me, bacon and eggs. And so uh, there's David. Uh, His example uh, is what happened there. And then what did he receive? Honor. David received honor. He got that temple built. Let's look at another giver quickly, David's son. And we look back to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon is getting ready to take over the kingdom. And I love this. Here it is. And uh, here it is. Looking down in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. And I think, uh, I think I have it right there. Yeah, he's getting ready to build the house of God. It says in verse 3, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. And uh, here it is a little further. Uh, okay, verse 4. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. Now, it doesn't say how often, but I figured it up, just math. Is it warm in here? Boy, it seems warm. We're fading fast. Help us. So, figure this out. If Solomon gave a public burnt offering once a week to God as the king, it would have been 20 years in a row. For him to reach a thousand, fifty times twenty equals what? Carry the one, borrow from the four, cotangent of three, divided by fifty times twenty is a thousand. So if Solomon would have given one burnt offering publicly every week, that meant twenty years he was publicly giving to the Lord. And notice what happens in verse number five. He's giving, he's given a thousand offerings that got God's attention. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. God said, ask what I shall give thee. That's pretty good to me. So what did giving do for Solomon? It got God to say, I'll give you whatever you want. You've been giving to me a thousand offerings. You love me, you trust me. What do you want? I'm going to give back to you. And I'll just love that. Notice what motivated that. God didn't appear to him until Solomon was giving. So under that, we see uh, what's the power of giving. Solomon, his, he gave offerings. What did God give him? Wisdom. He said, because you've not asked for the death of your enemies or much riches or a long life, I'm going to give you all of it. I'm going to give you wisdom to rule my people. What a, what a blessing. And it all started with giving. And then we see, uh, we're not going to turn to it, it was mentioned tonight, but Matthew 2, the wise men. The wise men, they presented, help me, their gifts were go, 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 gold, uh, for, 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 frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, and what did they get out of that? Uh, they got, they were awed. It said they presented. 
So to me, it sounds like it was not just, uh, let me use this for a second. Can I use this just for a second? Okay. It seemed like to me, it was not just, look, here's a bag from 7-Eleven. All right, now we got to go. It seemed like it was a very refined presentation. If you've ever seen, I've only seen it once in my whole life, your team win the Super Bowl trophy. You know, and now, you know, here's this crowd. And now on the, uh, on the behalf of the NFL president, uh, you know, he comes, gives a, gives a speech. Then the owner of the team gives a speech. And we are now awarding this because of our play. Uh, it's, it's, it's a presentation. How do you think they did that? Anybody want to guess? How did the wise men present their gold or their frankincense or their myrrh? How do you see that? Anybody want to guess how they did it or you want to act it out for us? What's that? Okay, so they did it like he was royalty. How many of you think they probably knelt? I think they did. How many of you think maybe they were prost? They were prost. Help me with the word. I always mix them up. Prostrate on the ground. And they were face down on the ground next to that manger. Probably. Uh, do you think maybe one of them played the trumpet dun, 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 on the behalf of the kings of the east? But I just don't think they said, is this him? Here you go. We got to go. If you've ever heard Dak Prescott, you can, you can hear him all the way up in the booth, the quarterback for the uh, 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 yeah, Dallas Cowboys. All right. Here we go. And, and that's his play call. Here we go. I don't think the three guys came in and said, all right, here we go, and, and just set down the gift. It was, it was a big thing. It was a big deal. They gave, and so what do they get? I'm going back to this. What do they get? They're in all the Christmas plays. Those wise men, 2,000 years later, we still have the kids dress up like them. We call them wise men. We call them three kings. We sing a song out of tune, we three kings, and... and we're still honoring those guys because when they gave, it did something, and we're still remembering them quickly. Some kind of new ones. I want you to see this in Acts chapter 3 for a moment. We have some two men that are paired together. They're going to church or going to the temple in Acts chapter 3. This is a great one. So some of these people gave their son. Some people gave riches. Uh, some gave gifts. Look at this one. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, now Peter and John went up together. You can tell they probably weren't Baptists. Look, they went together. They weren't fighting. <laughs> no. But Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they uh, laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms, alms for the poor, I'm, I'm lame, alms, I can't work. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. I love this. They didn't say, don't, don't watch us in our life. They said, hey, look at us. They had something to offer. And he gave heed unto them, verse 5, expecting to receive something. Are you going to give me something? Everybody comes by, they either do or they don't. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. Is that good or not? 
That means you can be the brokest person in Napa County and still be one of the greatest givers in Napa County. Such as I have. I don't have gold. I don't have silver, but I've got Jesus Christ, and I've got my faith, and I've got some promises in God's word, and I've got some experience, and I've got a little wisdom. i got a lot to offer you, and we all do. I love this here. So Peter and John, what, uh, they uh, didn't go shopping together. They went to the house of God. What did they give? Such as they had. I love that miracle in the Old Testament where the woman says, uh, they're going to come take my sons. My husband died, and he was training for the ministry. And the prophet said, what do you have in your house? She said, I don't have anything. Oh, yeah, except a little oil in a pot. She minimized what she had. All I have is just a little oil. He said, all right, uh, let's fill up all these pots. And what happened here? What did they get, Peter and John? They got a miracle. They got to see a miracle. A lame man was raised because they gave what they had. Every one of us has something tonight that we could give this week to somebody. It may not just be money, but we do have the gospel. We've got scriptures. We've got wisdom. We have encouragement. Maybe we have a little energy. We have some know-how. And then let's look down and, uh, well, skip this one. You can look at it later. Uh, John 6, that's the lad with the lunch where Jesus does the miracle, the lad. What did he give to Jesus? His lunch, his lunch. What did he get back? I like this. Twelve baskets. Twelve baskets. We know these people were Baptists because they didn't remember to bring a lunch. And they were hungry all the time. Every time you turned around, someone was hungry. The disciples are hungry. We've got to take bread. Oh, you, uh, uh, we're going to take bread. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. You mean they're bread. All they're talking about is food. So here's a little lad, and at the end, they pick up 12 baskets full. I personally believe Jesus made the disciples each carry a basket to the little lad's house. Once you follow him home and tell his mother the story, and it was the lad that fed everyone. He became the hero. I imagine around town, they said, are you the kid with the lunch? Yep, that was my lunch. You, uh, uh, the one, uh, yep, gave it to Jesus. And so giving, his giving fed 5,000. What a great, great story. Then I want you to see this for a moment. We don't, we don't ever mention this, but in Job chapter number 42, and we're talking about great giving. As we think Job was a great giver, I understand, but it may kind of surprise you. But Job chapter 42, and I want to just bring this out for a moment. So Job has been through everything, been through the darkest valley. He's been through the um, uh, valley of the shadow of death. He's lost his kids, lost his health. His three friends show up, and then they start railing on him and blaming him. So notice what it says. Jesus, Jesus rebukes these three friends of his. And then let's see how it all ends up. And it says in verse number 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord God, excuse me, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Well, how did that happen? Did it just fall out of the sky? Uh, was there a slot machine he pulled on? How did he get twice as much? Then came there unto him all his brethren. To me, it's kind of interesting. 
Job lost everything, buried his kids. You never see relatives show up. You see three friends that show up. You never see relatives. You don't even know Job has brothers or sisters. At the end of the story, a year later, there came unto him his brethren and all his sisters. And all they that had been of his acquaintance before, friends, people that knew him, business associates, and did eat bread with him in his house, these were friends from the past before the trial. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil, the trouble that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and everyone an earring of gold. Isn't that kind of interesting? And so here's Job. He has nothing. He's lost his businesses, doesn't have money to start over. He's buried his kids. His wife's upset. He's got disease. And at the end of the story, these relatives show up and they start handing him money. No one gave a lot, but everyone gave him some. And the Bible said now he had twice as much as he had before. I love that. Now, my, my take on it, why didn't they give it to him a year before? Why didn't they show up at the funeral and help him out? It took a year. Here's my thought, too. You ever been to a funeral and you didn't know what to say? You ever been to a funeral where you just wanted to sit in the back and then tiptoe out and not, you didn't want to face the person because you didn't know what to say? You ever been there? I've been there. And then when you did walk past the person, it was just kind of, kind of mumbled and shook their hand or hugged them. But what do you say? Maybe these people just didn't know what to say. But one thing about it, money talks. It usually says goodbye, but it does talk. And so here are these people. They're givers. Job's relatives, what do they give? Gold. And so what happened because of their giving? Job was encouraged. Job was encouraged. I remember when, when my dad passed away. Someone walked up to me about that time and they said, Pastor, I know you guys really don't get a choice. You need to fly and be at your dad's funeral and your wife does and your kids. And they handed me a check that covered all the flights to fly to my dad's funeral. You know what they did? They encouraged me. That was a great encouragement. Look at this quickly here. First, first Samuel. First Samuel 18. And you're doing great. I'm sorry I don't have... Tons and tons of stories, but back up for a second. So 1 Samuel chapter number 18, 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we'll go back to something in a moment. 1 Samuel 18. So who's a great giver in the Bible? Here it is. His name's Jonathan. His name's Jonathan. So here's David. David kills the giant, and we see David's got all this fan club, David's fan club, little uh, cards with his picture on the back, on the back, or favorites, his rookie card and all this. But First Samuel 18, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Verse number three, and Jonathan and David made a covenant. Verse 14, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and his bow and his belt or his girdle. 
Jonathan said, hey, we're not just friends. Here, here's my brand new suit. And here's my personal sword. And here's the belt I wear. Uh, I just want you to know, you're a special friend to me. So Jonathan gave his belt and sword. What did he get? You ready? A friend. A friend. Giving's powerful. You give, you get respect. You give, you get honor. You give, sometimes you see a miracle. You give, you get a friend. You give, you, you motivate others. Uh, just a quick story. Years ago, a good bit before I was here, the church was very discouraged. They were having a vote, and I'll just abbreviate the story. They were voting to sell the property and disband this church. There would be no more church here. Bills were high. Discouragement was high. Brother Treber and Dwight Tomlin sent our missionary to Hong Kong, heard about it. They were both in town. They showed up at the meeting. It was on a Tuesday night. The people kind of moaned and groaned. We got this bill. We can't pay this. We can't. We're behind on this, this, and this, and this. Brother Treber spoke up and he said, you know, I can't fix all y'all's problems. But what am I going to say to my son? Why is there no soul winning church in Napa anymore? And Dwight Tomlinson said, I can't fix everything here either, but I brought $1,000. I'd like to give it and tell you, don't sell the church and don't close the doors. Brother Treber said, and I got 1000 And so there you go. You got 2000 to start off with. When they did that, a little spark of encouragement entered into the building. I'm sure the Holy Ghost was bringing that and fanning that fire. One person spoke up and said, you know, I've had $5,000 in the bank waiting for a rainy day, and it looks like it's raining. I'll give that tonight. And someone else said, and I've got some money stashed away. I'll give. And how much do we mean? And I'll give. And a mini revival took place because two men said publicly what they were giving that night. And they'll never know. They'll be clipping coupons for all eternity. Hey, Brother Tomlinson, I never met you, but thanks for keeping the church open. I got saved 38 years later. Giving's powerful. And it's not always money. Let me give you these last two. And I just, just love these. I was telling my wife about it. She goes, what? And so Ruth chapter 2, let's look at this just quickly. I was discipling my partner tonight. I don't know if he's listening. And I said, you'll never get this one. And uh, here we are. Uh, Joshua judges Ruth. Here we go. Ruth, chapter number two. Chapter number two. And we have uh, the story, Ruth the Moabitess. She, she ends up, Elimelech and Naomi moved to Moab. And uh, uh, these two little heathen girls, Orpah and uh, Ruth, marry the sons. The sons die. Their father-in-law dies. Now it's just Naomi, and it ends up just Naomi and Ruth. They come to, back to Bethlehem. It's a, it's a famine. There's no food, and they do have a barley harvest. A rich guy named Boaz is having people harvest his barley. It's a poor man's wheat, if you will. And then we see, and uh, oh, here it is, looking down into chapter 2 and verse number 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. They answered, the Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz to his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? Who's this woman? 
The servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean after the reapers. Verse 8, then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. From hence uh, uh, abide fast by my maidens. And uh, uh, you go through the chapter, and he ends up at the end of the day. He says, hey, weigh out some barley to this girl. And she holds out her skirt, and they weigh it out. Uh, go bring that back to your mother-in-law. You've worked hard, uh, hard today. There's some barley. Then he tells the workers, he said, when she's gleaning and picking the, uh, uh, the gleanings, let some handfuls of barley fall on purpose. Let her just find piles of it so she'll have plenty to bring home. He was giving to a new woman that was a widow going through tough times. Well, what did Boaz get? A wife. He married her. He was the single bachelor, the wealthy bachelor. He got her for barley. What do you see in Boaz? Not much, but he's got some good barley. You say, well, how'd that turn out? I don't know. They had a a child named Obed, and later on he had a child named Jesse, and then he had a son named David. Boaz married the great-grandmother of King David, who further down the lineage would be Jesus of Nazareth. His giving got him in the family tree of Jesus. Pretty cool. And then one more, and I like this one too. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, 1 Samuel 25, and you've hung with it tonight. I know it's been a long day for many of you. But 1 Samuel 25, if you will please, and looking down into verse uh, number 14, we'll look at it in just a second. Uh, so here's the side note. There's a man named Nabal. He doesn't have a lot of common sense. He's wealthy, owns a lot of land, owns a lot of sheep. He has no people skills, very proud. And so David's men helped protect them during the sheep shearing time. And so after the sheep shearing, David says, look, you know, we're hungry. We have kept you guys alive. No one has stolen from you. Hey, how about giving us some food? My men are hungry. I really appreciate it. We've done this out of the goodness of your heart. We've not hurt you. We've protected you. We'd like some food for my soldiers. When Nabal rails on him, says, I've never heard of you. There's runaway slaves. That's probably who you are. I'm not giving you a dime. And you know how David was. You know, David killed the giant. He just pulls out his sword and he says, all right, fellas, pull out your sword. We're about to destroy a village right now. I can't believe that guy said that to me. Well, Abigail heard that. She, she could have been a mail-order bride. I don't know if she married this guy out of love or it was prearranged. So she's married to Nabal. And someone said, did you hear what your husband said? She said, his name means fool and so is he. And so she rushes to David, loads up beasts of burden with hundreds of uh, uh, bunches of grapes and figs and bread and food. So on the notes here, what did she give? Groceries. Angel of the Lord. She delivered groceries to David's troops. And when she delivered them, she fell at his feet and said, My Lord... 
My Lord, please don't destroy our village. My husband is a fool. I did not hear you came. We would have provided for you. Please don't destroy us. David looked at her and said, it's good you got here in time. Her husband was drunk that night. Soon as he woke up the next morning, she says, guess who made a house call? David. And he was going to, except I brought groceries. Then her husband was so fearful, he had a heart attack and then died. Whether this is good or not, David in, in slang said this, boy, God's good. The old man kicked the bucket. Abigail, would you like to be my wife? <laughs> and David marries that girl. Because she gave, she saved her whole community. Givers. Let's let this Christmas season, let's not look at it just, I don't have money. This person needs money. It's not just money. There's a lot of things we can give. And let's be known as that. In a moment, we'll have a prayer. Please do pray for the Schultes. I didn't mention them. Brother Schulte is better from the COVID. His wife, Donna, just tested positive again. So it looked like she'll be able to come home. That, and so please pray for them. Everyone's got some burden, something going on. But pray for the Schultes. We need them healthy.